Why is this boy licking this page? Well, if you look closely, you'll see some Hebrew letters and there's some honey on this laminated page. This boy is wrapped in a talus and he's about three or four years old. What is going on in this picture? Soon to find out. Here we have the city of Tiberias. The city of Tiberia in the north of Israel, just on the Kinneret, the Sea of the Galil, beautiful city, which I had the opportunity to visit many times. Today we're going to talk about one of the residents of this city of Tiberia, and we'll hear more about it in just a moment. Good afternoon. It's Rabbi Hesha here for Lunch and Learn, number 183, our weekly Torah session, where we take 60 minutes and we explore a topic, a individual from a Jewish history, from a Jewish perspective, using traditional sources. And we're going to jump right in with our source sheets, with sources from Talmud, from Torah, translated into English. And either it's in your inbox, in your email inbox, or on this post, there is a link you can get ready, download or print it out to be able to follow along in today's lesson about a fascinating individual named Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan. One of my favorite subjects is history, Jewish history, and today we'll be delving into exploring the life of Rabbi Yochanan, one of the most famous sages of the Talmud. Let's begin with a blessing. Baruch atah Getting ready to study some Torah together. There are many aspects of Torah. And today we will study the life of Rabbi Yochanan. And his life will inform us, will inspire us and guide us. Even though he lived 1800 years ago or so, his life will come alive in today's lesson. So welcome Mark, welcome Amy, and welcome everybody joining us live and listening to this after it uh, goes live. Um, our lessons also get uploaded to our podcast called Lunch and Learn under my name. And you can find it there if you prefer audio. Here we go. Um, this man, Yochanan, lived at the end of the second century. He was born about the year 180 of the Common Era and lived almost 100 years. There are various opinions how old exactly he was, but about 100 years old. So passing away about the year, uh, I believe, 179, I'm sorry, 279. And he lived most of his life in Tiberia, in Tiberias, which is a city on the Sea of the Galilee, a very ancient city. His father's name was Nafcha, some say, or at least he was referred to as Yochanan Nafcha, Yochanan ben Nafcha. Some say Nafcha is like a blacksmith. Perhaps that was his father's profession. Maybe that was just a family name or other um, reasons why this name was given to him. But his name was Yochanan, and we'll refer to him as Rabbi Yochanan. And because Rabbi Yochanan is a long name, spelled out in English, so on the source sheet many times it's just R-Y, capital R-Y, that stands for Rabbi Yochanan, hello Jody, hello Roy, and so it's not R-Y, it's Rabbi Yochanan, who, will we, who we will be studying about today, and 
Rabbi Yochanan is a name mentioned thousands of times in the Talmud. One of the most mentioned names in the Talmud. Previously, we had talked about a man named Rav, who was also a great sage of the Talmud, mentioned many times. And Rabbi Yochanan was another such sage. And today, we will explore his life. So let's jump right in. Today's lesson is divided into four sections, four ideas in his life that we will visit and inspire ourselves to learn from this amazing individual who lived about 1800 years ago. So let's begin with source number one. A certain pregnant woman smelled of food and craved it. She had a craving. If you don't remember it yourself, um, or you remember your spouse's cravings when they were pregnant, this this irresistible urge uh, could be ice cream or it could be anything else. So there was this pregnant woman, um, and she had this craving. She smelled a certain food and she had this craving for it. So they came before Rabbi Yehuda. Who was Rabbi Yehuda? A man named Reb, we call him Rebbe, Rabbi Judah the Prince. We also did a lesson about him who compiled the Mishnah. And he was the leading sage of the time. This is about the year 180 of the Common Era. And, excuse me, he lived in the city of Tzipori, another city in Israel, ancient city. And they come before him. Why would they come before the rabbi if a woman is craving some food? Because it was Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, where there's a biblical commandment to fast, not to eat or drink. And unless a pregnant woman uh, has strict orders from the doctor because uh, there's a danger, then pregnant woman, if everything is in order, would fast as well. So she's fasting, and she has this craving. And this is like a big deal. So they come before Rabbi Yehuda, what to do? So he said, whisper to her that today is Yom Kippur. Whisper into her ear of the pregnant woman that it's Yom Kippur. They whisper to her, and she stopped craving the food. Miracle. She stopped craving the food. And she was able to observe the entire fast of Yom Kippur. Rabbi Yehuda, when he heard the news, he read this verse about the baby. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. Hello, Vicky. This is a verse in the book of Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, which was written hundreds of years before. It's a prophet of Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah. And he's talking, giving over the words of God Almighty about the Jewish people, saying that way before the, any Jew or the Jewish people were created, before you were formed in the belly, I knew you. You know, your souls were up there before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you as a nation with a special mission. But Rabbi, Judah the Prince, Rabbi Yehuda, said this verse in regards to this baby, this fetus in the womb of this pregnant woman. Because just by whispering into the mother's ear that today is Yom Kippur, it's a holy day, and it's a day when better not to eat, even in such a situation, somehow the baby, which I guess the baby is what is um, creating all these hormones and everything that uh, that um, brings on these cravings, and by whispering into her ear, everything just calmed down. So this must be a really special baby. And even before this baby came out of the womb, 
I sanctified you. He was sanctified to God. This must be a special baby. And indeed, the Talmud says, that baby was Rabbi Yochanan. When that baby was born, he was named Yochanan. And he grew up to become the famous sage, Rabbi Yochanan. Well, there are various sages, Rabbi Yochanan, but others are usually called with an additional name, Yochanan ben Zakkai, Yochanan Asandlar. Today we're talking about, about the plain Rabbi Yochanan, who is also sometimes called Yochanan Nafcha or Ben Nafcha, the, the, the son of a blacksmith, or maybe soon we'll see another reason why he was called that name. But we're just going to call him plain Rabbi Yochanan in the Talmud. He's usually mentioned as plain Rabbi Yochanan. So this is the story. You know, Hashem, God, doesn't forsake his people. And as the generations come and go, in every generation there is one, two, and sometimes more unique individuals destined to be the leaders of that generation, the great teachers, the great sages, the the mentors, the tzaddiks of that generation, to inspire that generation, to teach Torah, to preserve Torah. Somehow in every generation there is somebody of unique stature that can be the gadol, as they're known, the gadol hador, the, the greats of the generation. And in his time, Rabbi Yochanan filled that position, and already uh, before being born in the fe- as a fetus, this story took place, indicating that this is going to be a special child. Because the Talmud then says another story of a different woman, who also had a craving on Yom Kippur, and they whispered into her ear, and she did not resist her cravings, and they had, she had to eat, which that's the halacha. In the case that the cravings are very intense, then, you know, it's very important. And therefore, it can be a danger to the child. So the, and the mother, I guess. So the mother does eat on Yom Kippur, maybe certain amounts, small amounts. There's a lot of details to that. And then that baby that was born did not turn out to be a great tzaddik. Uh, the Talmud gives a name of somebody who wasn't such a great person. So obviously, this story tells us about the nature of this boy, Yochanan, who grew up to be a great leader. Well, life didn't start off on the right foot for him because when he was born, already, or even before he was born, tragedy struck. Source number two, Rabbi Yochanan said, Fortunate is one who never saw his parents. Quite quite, um, astonishing to say that. Well, the Talmud goes on to say, when his mother was pregnant with him, his father died. Well, maybe that's why uh, they went to Rabbi Yehuda. Maybe her husband had already died and she didn't know what to do. Her, her husband probably was also a great man. But either way, her, her husband, the father of the baby, Rabbi Yochanan's father, died before he was born. So he never met his father. And his mother, and when she, she gave birth to him, his mother died. So she, she died in childbirth. So he grew up without a father and without a mother. So it's pretty a uh, great start to life. But that's how he grew up. Imagine that. And he tells us, fortunate is one who never saw his parents. Well, I don't think he knew any different, but he's saying fortunate. And the Talmud and the commentaries explain because the mitzvah of honoring and respecting one's parents, the number five of the f- Ten Commandments, is so... Um, I guess difficult to properly observe that if one does not have parents alive in some way, not, not in all ways, but in some way he's fortunate because he, he still has to honor them and respect them by uh, maybe visiting their graves and honoring their memory, but 
when they're alive, tending to their needs, being respectful of them in all situations, and really caring for them, and fulfilling that mitzvah can sometimes really be difficult to fulfill 100%. So in some way, Rabbi Yochanan said he is fortunate that he never got to see his parents. I'm sure he would have appreciated uh, those that do have parents, thank God. So we shouldn't tell that uh, to our parents. But just bringing out, I think he was trying to inspire his students how important the mitzvah of honoring one's parents is. Hello, Howie. So, source number three, life did not get too much better from there because he got married and he had many kids. And the Talmud says, by the way, there's no uh, book in the Talmud of all the stories of each sage. The Talmud is more a book of law, but the spurs here and there in the Talmud, there are, or Midrash, there are certain stories, little expressions, usually they relate to a halachic discussion. So what I did today is I gathered from various areas in the Talmud and Midrash and put them, try and put them together in a uh, organized fashion. So here the Talmud says that while consoling the victim of a catastrophe, he would say, referring to Yochanan, this is the bone of my tenth son. Rabbi Yochanan experienced the death of ten of his children. This is uh, crazy. Well, apparently in those days, um, uh, infant um, death was much more common, a lack of of, of medicine and and, uh, resources, but 10 of his children passed away, and I guess he would go and console people. And at one point, or while consoling the victim of a catastrophe, I guess different catastrophes, he would go and comfort them and try and console them and maybe share some of his own experience and see how one can be resilient and move on, I guess, in some way. And he would produce the bone of his 10th son. Saying, here, here it is. Look how much, you know, he himself, being the great man that he was, a great sage, and yet he suffered and he was able to, I guess, still be happy and still carry on in some way. So, it's an interesting discussion, where would he get this bone from? You know, you, uh, especially in Jewish tradition, uh, a person passes away, the entire body, even a child, should get buried respectfully in the ground. So what kind of bone was left out? So one of the Rishonim, one of the early um, commentators on the Talmud, says it was a tooth. So it was a tooth of his tenth son, which fell out while he was alive. We shouldn't be taking out teeth from dead bodies, but it passed. It fell out as a child, I guess, and he held on to that tooth like some children do, and maybe he found uh, the hiding spot where his child's teeth were being hidden, and he produced a tooth. And teeth actually survive, can survive for thousands of years. Uh, sometimes you see these pictures of, I don't know, uh, skeletons that they unearthed, uh, they excavated, and the teeth are still there. The teeth, um, you know, while a person is alive, so there's, uh, I guess, bacteria, which uh, makes the teeth decay, but that bacteria does not survive after a person dies, so teeth can last for a really long time, and he would carry this tooth around while going to console other people. So we see there Rabbi Yochanan, experience tragedy. Ten of his children doesn't give us too much details, but we do know that he seems that he had a daughter which did survive, and maybe another son that did survive and give him some nachas um, as well. So 
that's just like the backdrop of what, what kind of um, life he had. Well, a good, I guess a good thing about Rabbi Yochanan, a little bit, uh, the good, something positive, was that Rabbi Yochanan was very beautiful and handsome. He had a striking image. And interesting, some of the commentators put out, point out that he was from the tribe of Yosef. Joseph, you know, there are 12 tribes or 13 tribes. Joseph was actually split into two. He came from the tribe of Joseph. And the Torah also tells us about Joseph that he was very handsome. You have the whole story how he was sold as a slave and his mistress took an interest in him and was very attracted to him. And the Torah describes he was Yefet Tar. He was beautiful. And his mother, Rachel, Rachel, was also described in the Torah as a very beautiful woman. So perhaps there is some... Um, connection there, and soon we'll see some more correlations between Rabbi Yochanan and his ancestor Yosef. So, here are some descriptions in the Talmud about his beauty. Source number four, Rabbi Yochanan was not a uh, aloof kind of guy and teacher, he was very devoted to his students, and at one point one of his students, Rabbi Lazar, fell ill, and Rabbi Yochanan took the time to go and visit his student where he was laying and resting. Source number four, he came into the room and he sees that the room is dingy and dark. And that's not very conducive to being in a good mood and recuperating. So Rabbi Yochanan exposed, R-Y, Rabbi Yochanan, source four, exposed his arm and light radiated from his flesh, filling the house. That's how beautiful Rabbi Yochanan was. It was a out of uh, otherworldly kind of beauty and radiance. Hello Jack. That Rabbi Yochanan radiated from his flesh and it filled the house lighting up the room where his student Elazar was resting. He saw that Rabbi Elazar was crying. As soon as he saw this beauty and light his students started to cry and asked why are you crying? And after a back and forth he finally uh, reveals the reason for his crying. I'm crying over your beauty that will decompose in the earth. Eventually, this beauty will be laid to rest. And that's why I'm crying. It's so beautiful. It's so sad that it will decompose. Rabbi Yochanan responded, over this, it is certainly appropriate to weep. Now, the Talmud is filled with deep stories. Stories that can be understood on a superficial level, but contain a lot of depth and hidden ideas. Not all of them are known to us, but one idea that one of the commentaries explain here is that they weren't just uh, being sad over physical beauty. These were spiritual people. These are people that their interest was in spirituality. But here, the, his physical beauty was a reflection or is a manifestation of the spiritual beauty. Now, Rabbi Yochanan... Um, I guess, lived a certain time or was impacted by the spiritual grandeur, the spiritual beauty of the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't too long after the destruction of the Second Temple, perhaps his, uh, I mean, he was born after the destruction, perhaps he, he lived as a youngster in Jerusalem, perhaps he was um, taught by Jerusalemites, and his physical beauty was, uh, uh, was one of the, the last of the beautiful people that lived in Jerusalem and it was a reflection of the temple's beauty, the temple that stood in Jerusalem, the light, the spiritual light, 
sort of had an impact and translated itself also into physical beauty. Like our sages tell us that our matriarch, we said Rachel, and we said Sarah, Rivka, they, they were beautiful, not just because of physical beauty, but also physical beauty. Spiritual and physical fused together. And when a person is spiritually great, they have what's called hadrat panim. They'll have a beautiful visage. They'll have a beautiful and, and striking image. So... Rabbi Yochanan's beauty was not, he wasn't just sad that the physical beauty will decompose, but that was a sign how, you know, times are going, the generations are getting less and less of a spiritual kind of level, and also the spiritual beauty is declining. And that's sort of what he was crying about, perhaps. So source number five, another idea where the Talmud mentions Rabbi Yochanan's beauty, quite interesting, uh, but the Talmud says it, so we'll study it. Now, there's part of Jewish life is a mikvah. Till today, we have a mikvah, which is a, a ritual bath. Um, there are some for men, more famous or more important for women, especially when it's their time of the month. In order to resume relations with their husband, they immerse in a mikvah, uh, in a very private way, very discreet kind of way. And then when they come home, they can resume. And there's a mitzvah to resume relations with their husband. And many times that is when they'll fall pregnant because it's about, you know, two weeks before ovulation. And that is when, no, excuse me, it's ovulation time, about two weeks before the next month uh, period. And that is, ovulation time is usually when the immersion of the mikvah, in the mikvah is taking place. So Rabbi Yochanan, source number five, R.Y., Rabbi Yochanan would sit at the gates of the women's immersion sites where the mikvahs were. So leaving the mikvah at the gates, uh, he would sit there. So the women on their way home would stop by and have a look at this great sage and spiritual holy man. And he said, when the Jewish women emerge, they will look at me and will have children as beautiful and as learned as I am. So he was a humble man, but he was trying to perpetuate and move and continue on this beauty, the physical beauty, but mostly the spiritual beauty. Uh, and the physical beauty should be a, uh, I guess, manifestation of the spiritual beauty. And being a holy man, being the leader of the generation, where all, all eyes turn to him, having his image um, in their, in their, you know, imprinted in their minds can influence and impact the, the fetus with, or the baby which will be conceived that night or the following night um, back at home with their husbands. So, you know, back in the day, I believe this was called maternal impression that a mother can have an impact and a, in some way the father as well um, on, the, on, on the baby. So in a spiritual way, the way the couple behaves in the bedroom, especially on the night uh, when a woman can, can conceive, has an impact it's done in a holy way, in a modest way, um, and that has a, a spiritual impact on the child. And there is a, a blessing that when a, when a couple follows the laws of family pur purity, visiting the mikvah, and so on, then the child, the children, will be also physically beautiful as a result of the spiritual beauty and holiness that it is all coming about through. So here we have an example of Yochanan doing this, kind of interesting, uh, but doing it not for himself, but to 
have an impact on future generations. And source number six. Actually, one of the commentaries takes a little bit of a different uh, um, t- twist on it. And he says that if the children, will, the daughters or the, the kids will be uh, handsome and beautiful, then rich families will want to marry them because they're so um, beautiful and, and great. And that will give them an opportunity to be fully dedicated to the study of Torah. They won't have to worry about making a living and, 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 and uh, have an income. They'll be supported by the rich father-in-law and they'll be able to dedicate time studying Torah and be perhaps the next teachers and rabbis of the future generation. So it's always a benefit to have beauty. I know today's lesson is titled Beauty and Torah, uh, not so much what the Torah says about beauty, which is an interesting topic for itself, but Rabbi Yochanan was known to be very beautiful and a great Torah sage, and these things um, blended together. Source number six, I alone remain of the beautiful people of Jerusalem. And again, it wasn't just boasting about his physical beauty, but he was saying that it's of Jerusalem. It's a result of the holy city of Jerusalem, of the... Shekhinah, God's presence, which never leaves and left the city of Jerusalem and the Western Wall. One who wishes to see a resemblance of his beauty should bring a new, shiny silver goblet, fill it with pomegranate seeds, place a diadem of red roses upon the lip of the goblet, and position it between the sunlight and the shade, and the rays you get from that resemble somewhat of Rabbi Yochanan's beauty. I've never tried that. I'm not sure exactly how to do it. But apparently, there's some method there to see how beautiful and shiny and radiating his face was. So that wraps up the first lesson, uh, because at, just at that time, the center of Judaism in Israel was not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the Romans had, this is, you know, some time, 50, 60 years after the the Bar Kokhba rebellion that was crushed by the Romans and the city of Jerusalem was was raised and renamed by the Romans like uh, something Kapta I forgot the name they they they, they totally um, desecrated Jerusalem and not nothing Jewish was really going on in Jerusalem at that time and things moved to the north of Israel this is the city of Tzipori where Rebbe Rabbi Yehuda Judah the prince was and the city of Tveria Tiberias which is at the Sea of the Galil the Kinneret which is much more in the north, and Rabbi Yochanan is sort of saying that his beauty is a re- uh, remaining a remnant of the city of Jerusalem, which they're far away from at this time in history. So that is our first lesson, a little bit about the life of Rabbi Yochanan. Now we'll go on to the second idea in Rabbi Yochanan's life. He was a great Torah scholar, a great Torah sage, eventually becoming the leader of the generation of world Jewry, I guess, um, in in the, the prominence of his position and his Torah teaching. Source number seven. This agriculture estate was mine. So Rabbi Yochanan was walking with a student or a colleague. His name was Chia, Rabbi Chia. And he points out to this agriculture estate. And he says, this was mine. This belonged to me, Rabbi Yochanan, at one point. And I sold it in order to engage in Torah study. And this vineyard had was mine, and I sold it in order to engage in Torah study. The same is true regarding this olive grove. So Rabbi Chia began crying. <laughs> Look how much wealth you had. You had this, you had that, and you gave it up to engage in Torah study. He must have had to support himself. You know, It takes time to study Torah. To, um, there's so much Torah to study. There's so many books. There's so much depth to Torah. 
I can, you know, today there's thousands and thousands, hundreds and thousands, millions probably of books that, that one can study on Torah. Back then there wasn't that much, but there was, there was a lot of oral Torah to, to memorize, and, and he had a lot to study and teach. And if he would be busy doing business, he wouldn't have that time. So he sold this, he sold that to get some money to be able to support himself and his family in order to sit and study Torah all day and all night. So Rabbi Chia starts crying. <laughs> Look how much you had. And you gave that away for Torah study. So Rabbi Yochanan remarked, R.Y. Rabbi Yochanan remarked, was it not worthwhile to sell something created in six days in order to gain something far more valuable? The Torah, which was given in 40 days? So these fields, these olive groves, all of the, the earth was created in six days. The six days of creation. Okay, the sun, the moon, the fields, the trees, the water, uh, all the stuff, the animal, everything that was created, was it took God six days. But the Torah was given to us in 40 days. Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu was up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, 40 days receiving the Torah from God. God could have just put a chip into his head. It took 40 days for God to communicate, to transmit the Torah to Moshe to teach the Jewish people. So something which takes 40 days is far more valuable than something which took 6 days. Torah must be the prime um, prime wisdom of God and purpose of life. And therefore, he that was his way of putting it, how it was more valuable to him, the study of Torah. And indeed, Rabbi Yochanan studied and taught Torah and the Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud as it's called, it's really not the Jerusalem Talmud, it's the Talmud of Israel, but maybe called Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the capital. The, Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud was pretty much, is ascribed to pretty much Rabbi Yochanan because his teachings is what formulates the Jerusalem Talmud. Although he's mentioned, so, so just to clarify, there are two Talmuds. After the Bible, the Torah, we have the books of the prophets, we have the, we have the entire you know, scriptures, 24 books. And then you have the Mishnah, which was compiled about the year 200 by Judah the Prince. And then after that, the next three, 300 years uh, is the Talmud, which was sealed about the year 500. And the Talmud has the teachings of the, the last 300 years, from about the year 200 till about 500 of the t- sages of the Talmud which is till today the greatest you know, set of uh, Jewish knowledge, which everything comes from there. And all of Jewish law is based in the Talmud. So we have the Babylonian Talmud called the Talmud Bavli, also sometimes referred to as Gemara. But the Talmud Bavli is the Babylonian Talmud because after Rabbi Yochanan's life, even during his time, is sort of the center of Jewish teachings was centered in Bavel, Babylonia, and continued for hundreds and hundreds of years over there. So that's where the main Talmud, and the longer Talmud, and the more, the more uh, edited Talmud, version of the Talmud. But the Jerusalem Talmud did not manage to get edited as much because of the, um, the oppression that the Jewish people in Israel were under. They were under Roman rule, uh, you know, depending who the emperor was at the time, but generally there was uh, religious oppression and uh, always fear of rebellion, so they couldn't have too much of a um, authority, the Jewish people, and convene too much, so it w- didn't have a chance to properly be edited, 
and uh, organized. So the Babylonian Talmud includes pretty much most of what the Jerusalem Talmud has. So there are many differences between the two Talmuds, but we follow the Babylonian Talmud, which was the latter and more edited. And many of the students of Rabbi Yochanan went later to Babylonia, so a lot of the teachings were incorporated into the Babylonian Talmud. That is what we study mostly today, although we do study and there are some things that are different in the Jerusalem Talmud. So Rabbi Yochanan is way up there on the list of Jewish sages, and his Torah teachings were uh, of amazing, I guess, quality and quantity. So he studied Torah, he gave up his agriculture estate and his olive groves and his vineyards, and he studied Torah. Now at one point, all of the money, the income, uh, was used up, and he wasn't getting paid to study Torah, so he needed to go make a living, and he decided he was going to have to leave the Torah, the study hall, and go uh, do some business. So he goes with a colleague, his name was Ilfa, source 8, Ilfa and Rabbi Yochanan sat under a dilapidated wall and were eating bread. They're on their way to, do, to find some uh, business opportunity and they sit under a, a, a dilapidated wall and they're eating when two angels arrived. Now, angels or maybe demons, we studied about demons a couple of months ago, when one is in a dangerous situation, then it's not good. We studied how uh, one should not go into a churva, a, a ruin, a place that's dangerous because that's the kind of place where demons hang out because uh, nobody really goes there. So they come and sit under a dilapidated wall which is about to fall over. It's kind of a dangerous place and a person is not supposed to put themselves in a dangerous situation either. So two angels arrive. Hey, these guys are worthy of dying. Why are they sitting here? And then one angel says to the other, no, no, don't, don't do anything harmful here. Leave them as there is one of them whose time of greatness has yet to come. Rabbi Yochanan said to Ilfa, did the master hear anything? Rabbi Yochanan is overhearing this conversation between the angels and he says, Ilfa, did you hear this conversation? Did you hear anything? To which Ilfa replied, no. So Rabbi Yochanan said to himself, it must be I whose time of achievement stands before me. I must be the one who the angel was referring to. So I should not go into business. He returned to the study hall and Ilfa engaged in business instead. Rabbi Yochanan went back to the study hall. Eventually, short time after, I should say, he was promoted as the Rosh Yeshiva, the leader of the academy, and that benefited his financial situation. He had an income as a result and his situation was more stable and he pursued his Torah study. Hello, Igor. Now, he wasn't just studying himself. Now he was a teacher. He was teaching others. And he had many, many students. He lived a very long life, as we said. He lived almost to about 100, some say even longer, teaching many generations of students. And he was very devoted to his students and always looking for opportunities to develop another student and teach them Torah. So there was this man. His name was Shimon, Simon. And he's called Resh Lakish. That was that means like a, like a bandit. He was a Jewish man, but he had, um, I guess, gone off the, the the path a bit and became a, uh, a bandit. You know, attacking people and uh, stealing their stuff. He was up to no good. And this Resh Lakish was a mighty man. He was. 
he was, uh, you know, someone you don't want to meet in a dark alley. Source number nine, Rabbi Yochanan, our why, was bathing in the Jordan River. The Jordan River uh, flows from the Kinneret, from the Sea of the Galil, which is by the city of, or the city of Tiveria, is right there. So we can take another look at this uh, picture here of the city of Tiberias in Israel, beautiful city city with many ancient uh, graves but also really nice here is the beautiful waters of the Kinneret and this Kinneret uh, flows down southward along sort of along the the border between Israel and Jordan and he was bathing in the Jordan River Reish Lakish saw him he sees Rabbi Yochanan and remember Yochanan is very strikingly beautiful, and jumped into the Jordan, pursuing him. Okay, you can imagine what kind of man this Reish Lakish is. He sees someone like that bathing. Reish, Rabbi Yochanan said to Reish Lakish, your strength is fit for Torah study. He saw him jumping across the Jordan River like that, um, a big leap, and he says, wow, you're so strong, you're fit for Torah study. Reish Lakish responded, your, bu- your beauty is fit for women. He actually uh, had a mistake and he thought that Rabbi Yochanan was, was a woman because he, that's how beautiful he looked. Rabbi Yochanan replied, If you return to the pursuit of Torah, I will give you my sister in marriage, who is more beautiful than I am. Rishlakish accepted upon himself to study Torah. So here's a bit of an exchange that the Talmud records by teaching us how Rishlakish took this to heart. Okay, and he became a Yochanan student, and eventually, actually, his colleague, and he became the le- pretty much like a, one of the leading sages together with Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was at the top, and he had his brother-in-law, this Reish Lakish, what we might call a Baal Teshuva, you know, one who came back to the fold, who was uh, assaulting, attacking people on the on the roads, and here he came back to Torah, became God-fearing, and you know, a full Torah sage, really at the top, using his strength for a good cause for Torah. So that's an interesting um, example of Rabbi Yochanan out to encourage more people to study Torah. Now, Rabbi Yochanan's whole life was a study of Torah, and he actually wrote a blessing, which we say until today, every morning we say the blessing for the Torah. Just like if a man gets called to the Torah, he says a blessing before. Everybody should say a blessing for the Torah. Uh, women as well. In our morning blessings, if you open up the Siddur, the prayer book, in the morning we say a couple of blessings, including the same blessing that men say by the Torah, which is a blessing, bless, thanking God for giving us the Torah, choosing us of all nations to give us the Torah. And we say that every morning, or before we study Torah, if we haven't said it in the morning. And part of that blessing is a blessing, part of those couple of blessings is one which was written by today's topic, uh, today's man, Rabbi Yochanan. And his wording is very telling. Source number 10, Make the words of your Torah sweet in our mouths and in the mouths of your people so that we may engage in your Torah. His request is, Veha'arevna. In Yiddish, you say geschmack. You know what geschmack means? It's uh, it's like tasty. It's sweet. It's beautiful. 
the Torah study is not just something that we have to do, it is something that we enjoy doing. We, we, when we ask of God, make it sweet in our mouths. And continuing, Rabbi Yochanan would say, one who should read the Torah with a melody and study the Mishnah with a song, demonstrating that he is fond of his learning. Yeah, that's how we study. When we study Torah, whether it's reading the Torah itself with song, which is the official cantorial you know, kind of notes, it's called trap. But even when we're studying any Torah, we're studying now, we're studying Talmud, we're studying Mishnah, whatever it is that we're studying, there's a tune. I don't know, maybe, there, maybe it sounds like I always do with a tune, but there's sometimes that special tune that goes along with the studying of Torah because it's a passion, there's a feeling, there's a love when we study Torah. Somebody who studies Torah without song or melody, it's too dry. It shows that... You're just a robot. You know, you gotta, you gotta put yourself into it. You gotta invest yourself. You've got to put our whole being into it and enjoy what we're doing. It has to be with a sweetness, with a song. And that brings us back to the custom that when a three-year-old boy or a four-year-old, you know, his first time, um, going to a Jewish school, cheder, we actually take the Aleph base. If you see in the back here, it's not so clear. You take the Jewish, you know, the Hebrew letters and an laminated card, put honey on the letters and have the boy lick the honey giving him the message that the words of Torah are to be sweet. The Harif, no, there are many beautiful songs about this. Make it sweet for us. Make, make, sweet, make the Torah sweet for us. Make it, um, make it enjoyable. The study of Torah is, is, uh, is like our go-to. You know, we have some time, we pull a, pull a book off the shelf and study Torah. Torah is not just um, telling us what, we to, what to do. You know, you want to keep kosher, so here's how you learn how to keep kosher. The Torah is, our, is like a profession, you know. It's like, uh, you got some time, take a, Torah, take a Torah book with you. You're in the car, turn on a, a podcast, turn on a Torah class, learn some Torah. Torah is something that, that, uh, that we do on the go. We, we do when we have a chance and for sure we should set times at least for studying Torah um, every day every week as often as we can there's no limit to how much Torah we could study there's always more Torah another layer of Torah another layer of Torah which is demonstrated in the next source source number 11 Rabbi Simlai said to Rabbi Yochanan R.Y. hello Hank teach me the book of genealogies in three months Oh, I had trouble figuring out what exactly the book of genealogies is. I guess it was some book which recorded, I guess, some stories or the genealogy. It's not one of the books of the Torah or of the Talmud, but I guess it was some book at that time, a Torah kind of book. And he says, teach it to me in three months. Rabbi Yochanan took a clod of dirt, threw it at him and said, Bruria was so sharp that she learned 300 laws in one day from 300 sages. And nonetheless... She did not properly learn the book in three years. And you want to learn it in three months? So uh, I guess uh, it was a bit visual about that. <laughs> Had a teacher teach him a lesson. But even Bruria, who was the wife of Rabbi Meir, who was a sage that lived probably, uh, I don't know, a couple of decades before, or maybe, maybe more than a couple, maybe a hundred years or so before Rabbi Yochanan, and his wife was a great sage, Bruria. We once did a lesson, uh, I believe last year or two years ago, on Rameyer and Bruria. And, and yet, she couldn't grasp the depth of that book in, in, three, in three years. It did not suffice. 
and you want to learn it in three months. So there's so much depth to Torah, layer upon layer. It's like an onion. We could always relearn the Parsha and, and notice something else and take another lesson and have more questions and, and have a greater appreciation for it. And the moments, the, the minutes, the hours that we study Torah, we immerse ourselves in God's wisdom. There is nothing like it. And it is enjoyable. It's just simply enjoyable to study Torah. So maybe you just got to know where to listen and what book to read. But Torah is just an enjoyable thing to do. And I do it every day, every morning, at least spend an hour or two after prayers studying Torah. Besides, you know, whenever else you have a chance. Source number 12. Let's move on to our third section. Rabbi Yochanan was a teacher as well. So we'll look at some of his teachings. Now again, there are thousands. Wow, time is going fast here. So let's try to pick up the speed. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan was a, was a teacher and he, he founded a yeshiva, a house of study in the city of Tiberias where he taught for 80 years. And that was similar to Joseph because Joseph also ruled for 80 years. He was 30 years old when he became viceroy over Egypt and he passed at 120. So for 80 years, Joseph, Yosef, the first Yosef, uh, son of Jacob, ruled. And similarly, Yochanan, which was beautiful and handsome and was a descendant, direct descendant of Joseph, ruled and sort of was the leading sage of the generation for 80 years. You can imagine how many students he had. Um, so here are a couple of samples of his teaching. Source number 12, Rabbi Yochanan would stand up before Gentile elders. He said, well, how many experiences have occurred to these individuals? They have garnered much wisdom from their long lives. So Rabbi Yochanan, even though they weren't Jewish, they were somebody who was elderly. They may be retired, but they're not useless. They have a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom through life, and they deserve our respect. And he would stand up for them, give them a hand, be respectful for somebody who was older, even if they were fine, they were healthy and didn't need his support, but he would show reverence and respect for them. Um, and today in Israel, actually, on the buses, public buses, there's actually like a sticker, you know, the first seat or two, or three seats, like, Gotta respect your elders, and if you sit there and you don't get up for someone who needs it, you'll get screamed at by Israelis. So they're they're tough, but they are living up, I guess, to this idea, this teaching of Rabbi Yochanan, or what he role modeled: respecting your elders. Somebody who's older deserves our respect. He would actually stand up for them. Source not source thirteen. A teaching, for what virtue was King Omri privileged to ascend to the monarchy? So Omri was one of the kings, the Jewish kings. We know that the Jewish kingdom was split into two during the first temple era after King Saul, King David, King Solomon, who ruled over the entire nation. The kingdom was split by the son of Shalom of Solomon into two. There was the southern kingdom of David's descendants and the northern kingdom and which ruled over 10 tribes, which were eventually exiled. Most of us come from the southern kingdom, which was the Judean kingdom. So he asked King Omri, who was one of those kings, what was his virtue? Not, not most, many of those kings were not very virtuous. So what was his virtue that he was privileged to ascend to the monarchy since he added one city in Israel, Samaria? His privilege was that he built a city 
he contributed to the settlement, to the growth of the, of the, of the country of Israel, the Holy Land. What was that city? Samaria. Samaritans. It was the Jewish king, Omri. He purchased a, a mountain from a man named Shemer, and he built a city there, and I believe that he made that his capital, and he called the city after the person who he purchased it from, Samaria, or in Hebrew, Shomron. And the people that lived later, which was brought by the Assyrian king, after exiling the ten tribes, the Jewish tribes, he brought people from other foreign countries to live there, they began to be called the Samaritans because they live in Samaria. Till today in Israel, it's called Shomron. So that was his virtue. And we know settling the land of Israel is a mitzvah. For what virtue was his son, King Ahav, Ahab, Ahab was a, was a Russia, he was a, a wicked man and a idol worshiper and, and did many terrible things. So why was he privileged for, to rule for 22 years? Since he respected the Torah, which was given with 22 letters. In Hebrew, we have 22 letters. If you follow the J text, also the mezuzah scroll is written on 22 lines corresponding to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And although he did many terrible things, but he had a respect for a Torah scroll. And there's a story that one of the um, kings, neighboring non-Jewish kings, wanted to take a Torah. And he said, no, he, he uh, didn't allow it. He had a respect for the Torah scroll which was given in 22 letters, so that is the reason why he merited, although other terrible things that he did, to rule for 22 years. So nothing is coincident, and the Torah is so holy that the 22 letters of one who respected them was given an opportunity and privilege to rule for 22 years. Actually, Rabbi Yochanan cherished the land of Israel, and he never left the land of Israel. He was Israeli born and Israeli he passed. He never left the Holy Land of Israel. And here's another teaching. 14. One who whitens his teeth to his friend by smiling at him, showing his white teeth, is better than one who gives him milk to drink. So giving someone milk to drink is very nourishing. You know, back in the day, maybe they were more natural. I guess they uh, they were very into milk until today. You know, it's good to drink milk. Um, milk is very nourishing, especially for a baby, young child. It's all they, they live off. And yet, giving emotional nourishment and acknowledgement by smiling to somebody, showing that they're, they're worth something and you're acknowledging them by giving them a smile, whitening your teeth to them, showing them your white teeth, is better, is more important, more nourishing than giving them a milk to drink. Our faces are like public property. You know, what you think in your head, okay, maybe is not, it also is impactful, but not as much, you know, not always can everyone see what you're thinking, but your face is public property. So you frown at somebody, the other person gets offended or doesn't get greeted properly. You smile at somebody, you can have a great impact and lift them up. Um, recently, somebody shared that there was a police, I guess some investigator, um, people that were committing suicide, and he would follow up and see, trying to figure out what caused them to commit suicide. And a lot of times he would find the note that the person left. And one note that he found, I think it was in uh, San Francisco, that the person left, he jumped off the bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, 
and he wrote that I'm leaving my home now and walking to the bridge. If one person stops me on the way and smiles at me, I won't jump. So literally, smile at somebody, and what do they say? You can, you can save their life. Or they say, if you see someone without a smile, give them one of yours. Or smile when you still have teeth. Um, nothing you wear is important as your smile. So learn from Rabbi Yochanan, follow his teachings, and don't be cheap on a smile. It's free. Source number 50. At one point, Yochanan fell ill. And he went to the doctor, saw a woman who was a remedy, a healer, maker, and she prescribed him, she made him a concoction. Here is your medicine. Now, Rabbi Yochanan uh, was going home and he said, well, tonight is Shabbos. And what happens if I'm not going to be feeling well? I'm going to need to do this on Shabbos. How am I going to do it? I can't come to you. I can't carry you. I won't be able to come here on Shabbos. So what should I do? So she said, oh, don't worry. It's not going to happen. So he said, well, maybe it will happen. What should I do? So, source 15, she said to him, take an oath to me that you will not reveal the remedy. Rabbi Yochanan took an oath to her. To the God of the Jews, I will not reveal it. She revealed the remedy to him and said, if you need it, here's how you make it. On the following day, Rabbi Yochanan went out and taught it publicly. He shared the remedy with anybody. Everybody. So Rabbi Yochanan, the Talmud says, but Rabbi Yochanan took an oath to her. How did he transgress and violate his oath? His vow meant, I will not reveal it to the God of the Jews, which indicates, but I will reveal it to his people, the Jews. And Talmud goes on to say that still doesn't seem so, so straight, and goes on that he did reveal, tell the lady that he's going to say it, and Talmud uh, discusses that. But it, I think it just shows that Rabbi Yochanan was not just out for himself. As soon as he knew that if somebody has a, an issue and he can, he can remedy himself, he can, he can be healed, share it with everybody. Don't keep it for yourself. Make everybody come to you and pay and this and that. Not everybody will, will, will have the opportunity and be able to pay. And Just tell it to everybody so everyone can be helped. And that was Rabbi Yochanan always there for other people that despite his vast Torah knowledge, he was also caring and devoted to his fellow Jews. Source 16, call Shabbos a delight, the Lord's holy day honorable. That's a verse from Isaiah, that Shabbos is a day for delight, and we have good delicacies and a day to delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable. We honor the day by lighting candles, by a white tablecloth, and Another thing is, your dress on Shabbos should not be like your dress during the week. As Rabbi Yochanan referred to his clothing as my honor. Clothing bring honor to a person. When a person wears nice clothing, they're more honorable. So Rabbi Yochanan would say that when the verse says, make the holy day honorable, you make it honorable by wearing honorable clothing. So we should have clothing for Shabbos, whether we're coming to Shul or, st- or even while we're at home. We should have a set of nice clothing or dress clothes as they might be called. When we were younger, we would call our dress clothes weekday, uh, Shabbos clothes. We had weekday clothes, we had Shabbos clothes. We went to a wedding, you wore Shabbos clothes. Those were our special clothes, special you know, dress shoes or a suit. Uh, uh, even myself, I wear a different kind of, it's called a kapata, sort of a longer kind of coat or a suit when, uh, on Shabbos. So we dress in an honorable way. It's time to light the Shabbos candles, put on something nice, put on a nice dress, put on something... Um, suitable 
honorable for the holy day of Shabbos, fulfilling this verse in Isaiah taught to us by Rabbi Yochanan. And finally, source 17, the wisdom of the early sages was like the doorway to the entrance hall of the temple, which was 20 by 40 cubits. Cubit is about a foot and a half, so that's about 30 by 60 feet. That was a huge um, entrance hall to the temple. That's like the hearts and wisdom of the early sages. This is what Rabbi Yochanan is telling us, that the sages before him, of the early sages, were like wide open. You know, they were of they were in a different league. And the hearts of the later sages were like the doorway to the sanctuary, which was tw- 10 by 20 cubits. That was uh, 15 by 30 feet. Uh, it wasn't as great, uh, a big of a doorway. And we, said Rabbi Yochanan, are like the eye of a fine needle. So he was humble in saying how there's a decline in the wisdom of the generations. And as the generations go further back, they were much wiser and their hearts were more wide than, than them, than in his generation. You can imagine us compared to Rabbi Yochanan. As the generations go, uh, there is a decline, and that's why, especially in, in Jewish teachings, there is a, a hierarchy. You know, you can't, I can't argue on something that says in the Talmud. Even Rabbi Yochanan can't argue on something from the from a previous, you know, from from previous generations. There's like there's different leagues. So you know, let's say us, us and Rashi, there's certain commenta- commentaries on the Torah. We can't argue with them and have a different. Uh, explanation, especially when it comes to Jewish law, because they're in a totally different league. They lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and what 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 they said is like is uh, un uncompromising, or how do you say? You, you can't argue with them unless there's somebody in their generation, sort of, that argues with them. So then you you know you have uh, who to choose from, but. You know, it's it's not like you know everybody for the past five thousand years is in one boat, and we all have equal access or equal not access, but equal um, uh, kind of level in the study of Torah. As the generations go back, the holier they were, the more capacity, the more um, greatness they had to understand the depths of Torah. So we are on a different league than them. We can try and study and grasp what they taught us, but there is this rever- reverence and. And um, I guess kind of hierarchy as the generations go. And moving on to our final section, getting towards the end of the life of this great sage, Rabbi Yochanan. <clears throat> if there are any questions, feel free to post it in the comments. So Rabbi Yochanan, as mentioned, lived all of his life in in the Holy Land of Israel. And at that time, as we mentioned, the Roman oppression was quite great. And many of the Jews, or I would say probably most of the Jewish students, were in Bavel. We said that, that we, we studied once before about Rav. There was a great yeshiva in Naharda. There was a great yeshiva in the city of Sura, headed by Rav. And that is where many students were. And many students would travel back and forth from Israel to Babylonia, from Babylonia up to Israel. Rabbi Yochanan always was in Israel. Now, source number 18, the Torah says, your days will be lengthened upon the land. The Torah gives us a blessing that those that live in Israel, they have a blessing for long life. So they asked him, why do the residents of Babylonia live long lives? They're not living in Israel. So he didn't know what to say. 
Now, they told him that the people in Babylonia go early in the morning and late in the evening to the synagogue. They were relating to him something about Babylonia. They, they, they have big yeshivas there and they go early in the morning, late at night to the synagogue to pray, to study. And then he said, that was effective for them in extending their lives. So although they may not be living in the land of Israel, but they were doing spiritual things or going to synagogue they early in the morning, late at night, despite the difficulty, that contributes to their long life. Source 19. When they said to R.Y., Rabbi Yochanan, the Chabarim, like uh, I guess like a terrorist group, came, have come to Babylonia. Generally in Babylonia, the Jewish people had autonomy. They had... Uh, their own kind of govern, governing uh, rights, and they were mostly peaceful. It was mostly peaceful from, from any enemies, unlike in Israel. So they, but at some points, like in this one, there was you know terrorist groups that have come to Babylonia. So he shuddered and fell off his chair out of concern. Now Rabbi Yochanan was, ne- Rabbi Yochanan was never in Bavel, and yet. He shuddered because although they were far away from each other and maybe there was kind of competition a little bit between the, the academies, uh, of course they were great men, yet he never, he never was there. He shuddered because Jewish people, wherever we are, we're united. You hear somebody in Japan, in France, somewhere in Israel, there, there's, a, there's an attack, there's some, we, we feel it because we're all united, we're one big extended family and Rebbe felt the same way, he shuddered. Then they said to him, there is a way to deal with this persecution as they accept bribes. So upon hearing that, he straightened himself and sat in his place once again. He was overjoyed that there is a way for, the, for his brethren to somehow persevere. Source number 20. At one point, a man named Rav Kahana had to escape Bavel and come up to Israel to the yeshiva of Rabbi Yochanan. Now generally, Rabbi Yochanan was up until this point, of the opinion that his yeshiva was the primary yeshiva and the, the knowledge of Torah that his students had was, uh, was more superior than the yeshivas back in Babel. All, after all, he is in the Holy Land of Israel. But this incident changed that. He asked him when Rav Kahana came about every uncertainty that he had. And Rav Kahana resolved each of them for him. This is the background to that which Rabbi Yochanan said to his students on several occasions later, what I said was yours is in fact theirs. The scholars of Babylonia are the most advanced. And indeed, the Talmud that we study is the Babylonian Talmud, which was compiled and edited by the sages in Babylonia, but it definitely includes all the teachings or many teachings of Rabbi Yochanan, which was brought over to Babylonia by his Israeli students. The Talmud describes the death, the passing of Rabbi Yochanan, when his brother-in-law and colleague, Reish Lakish, passed. Source 21, he was very sad. And he said, when I would state a matter, he, Reish Lakish, he would raise 24 difficulties and I would answer with 24 answers and the halacha would become broadened and clarified. There was great discussion and debate going on between me and him and through questions and the answers, things would get broadened and clarified. 
And now Yishlakish is gone. Hello, Judy. He went around, rending his clothing, weeping and saying, Where are you, son of Lakish? Where are you, son of Lakish? He couldn't handle it in his old age. He could not handle the the passing, the void of his dear brother-in-law and colleague, Reish Lakish. Rabbi Yochanan screamed until his mind was taken from him. He just wasn't able to to uh, continue on life without Reish Lakish. The rabbis prayed for God to have mercy on him and Rabbi Yochanan died. He was already really old, about 99 years old. Some say he lived for even longer. And he passed and he's buried in the city of Tiberia, in the city of Tiberias. It is unclear exactly where he was buried, the various opinions, but it seems that he is buried in the city of Tiberia, Tiberia where he lived. And here's something interesting about his actual passing. So he passed away about the year 279. So um, that's more than 1700 years, 1750, 1750 years, 1750 years ago. But yet he continues to live on in the thousands upon thousands of students that study his teachings, including all of us here. We're studying the teachings of Rabbi Yochanan and being inspired by his personality. And here, even in his passing, Rabbi Yochanan was thinking about somebody else. Source number 22. There was an individual. His name was Elisha. Elisha ben Avuya was a Torah scholar who veered from the path. He dropped religious observance due to an incident that he misunderstood and later he regretted it, but it was sort of, he said, it's too late. Uh, He had a certain question. And he is referred to in the Talmud as Acher, the other one. Yet his student, who was Rab Meir, continued to study from him. He was a great Torah scholar after all. And he would continue to study from him. Many interesting stories about that. After Elisha passed away, uh, up in heaven, and these sages, you know, they were spiritual people. And I guess were somehow able to be in the know of what's going on up in heaven. And when the soul of Elisha came to heaven, they didn't know what to do with him. They couldn't send him to heaven, to paradise, because, uh, you know, he was a sinner after all. They didn't want to send him to hell, to purgatory, because he was a great Torah scholar and teacher. So he was sort of in limbo and was not able to come to rest, to be at peace. So his student, Rameir, said that when he dies, he's going to go up to heaven and he's going to um, accomplish, he's going to achieve that he should go to hell and be cleansed and then eventually he'll get to peace. And sure enough, when Rameir passed away, smoke started to rise from the grave of Elisha, sort of indicating that Rabbi Meir's promise was fulfilled. Rabbi Yochanan, during his life, he's like, what kind of, that's not so nice. He's still, all his life, his smoke is rising. That's a long time. Source number 22, Rabbi Yochanan said, when I die, I will have the smoke extinguished from Achish's grave. I'm going to speed up that process and get him into heaven as a sign that he has been released from the sentence of hell and brought to the world to come. Indeed, when Rabbi Yochanan passed away, the smoke ceased. A certain eulogizer began his eulogy of Rabbi Yochanan, even the guard at the entrance could not stand before you are rabbi. When he came to hell, he had right to enter and to exit and take along with him this soul of Elisha and bring him with him along 
to Gan Eden, to paradise. Even after his passing, he was there helping somebody else, helping another uh, come to peace. Source 23, today, one of the eulogies that one of his students, disciples, eulogized Rabbi Yochanan, today is as difficult for the Jewish people as the day that the sun set at noon. The sun, which gives light, was Rabbi Yochanan, the leader, the light of the generation who inspired us, opened our eyes in Torah and guided us and mentored, mentored us. It's like the sun set at noon. There was a darkness that came to the world and his students observed Rabbi Ami, Rabbi Asi, it was Rabbi Lazar who continued on the yeshiva in Tiberias. They sat shiva for him as one does for a, for a uh, teacher and that is how the era of Rabbi Yochanan ended and pretty much at that time there was this great sages that were centered in Babylonia and sometime later about the year 500 is when this Talmud was written and sealed and includes many of the teachings of Rabbi Yochanan. So that wraps up our lesson for today about this fascinating, extraordinary, beautiful and great Torah sage, Rabbi Yochanan. And interesting that in Hebrew, there is no word for history. They might say historia, but it's no re- there's no real word in Lashon Kodesh, in real Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, for history. What there is, is zichronot, zichira, to remember. We're told to remember the history of leaving Egypt and other things that happened. They remember what happened at Mount Sinai. We're not, we're not just learning history to learn about the past. The past is for us, is to enlighten us and teach us how to live in the future. So it's not about the past. When we learn about Rabbi Yochanan, we're not, we're not just learning about one day, thousands of years ago, lived the great man. We're learning about him to be inspired, how we can be, internalize the messages of his life and remember him, remember him and be inspired him, be inspired by him for the future. So in, in real Hebrew, there is no such concept as just something of the past. It's all to teach us about how we can create the future. Thank you for joining us. And just like there are Lahavdil, you know, cards for baseball. Um, or other sports, sports cards of this this player, that player. You want to know how tall they are and where they come from. And here we can learn about our heroes, our Torah sages, whatever generations. We have the biblical personalities. It's fascinating to learn about. Not just fascinating, but inspiring to learn about them, their way of life, what they stood for. And then you have the... Tal- the sages of the Mishnah, sages of the Talmud, then you have the later generations, there are so many personalities. Jewish history is quite well documented and there's so much for us to learn. One of my favorite subjects is Jewish history or Jewish remembrance, remembering Jewish history. So thank you for joining us for today's lesson. Join back for next week's lesson, next Tuesday. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Please share this post. Others can benefit from this as well. And Zai Gesund.